Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, my name is Justin Hamilton and welcome to Big Squid. In our show today, I'll be joined by comedian and co-host of the Total Reboot podcast, Alexi Toliopoulos, and together we'll be recapping the pilot episode of the new HBO series Watchmen. Hang around until the end and I'll let you know where you can find some excellent articles and extra reading that will help you unpack this electrifying new series. Warning, this podcast is chock full of spoilers for the TV series and graphic novel, so if you're keen to listen but aren't up to date, and let's be honest, you've had decades to read the comic, go and check it out now. We'll be waiting for you right here. For the rest of you, let's embrace the ominous, strange, and darkly funny world of Watchmen. Well, I feel really anxious after watching that pilot. Did you feel anxious? I don't know if I feel anxious. I feel excited. Oh, I feel excited as well. But I also feel really anxious. I think it (laughs) might have had something to do with the fact that it really delves into race in a way that is in many ways uncompromising. Mm. But also there is just that sense of I'm really not educated enough yeah and very specifically the beginning of it which we will dive into in Mm. a sec what that's all about turns out wasn't really that well known in america yeah and so everything that kind of plays out even though it is a universe based on a comic where there was once a giant blue man mm. who could do anything with his powers. It felt so real in, in many of its regards. I yeah. just I felt a level of anxiety all the way through it. And I felt like that anxiety was paid off in the in yeah. the end. Does it when you're seeing this straight away, what is your 
immediate thought with this first episode? My immediate thought yeah. was that having been a big fan of The Leftovers, mm-hmm. the start of this episode reminded me, even though they're very different but yeah. uh, in, in content, but in the way... It played out. It reminded yes. me of the start of the second season of The Leftovers yes. and the third season of The Leftovers. Yeah, where both of those shows you have you get a glimpse into the past yes. and a perspective on on what the future perhaps could be, or yes. from someone that you know. The, both of those uh, season two begins with we're going way back in time to early man, yes, uh, cave people, and then season three of The Leftovers, you've got like this kind of like I don't even know what you would say. Are they a cult? Maybe not, but it's uh, like a Christian. Based faith community. Well, yeah, I think I think it's just a community, but yeah. there's some part of the community that is very much believing the the scriptures to yes. be not metaphors, but to be this is what's going to happen. Yeah, and then each one of those thematically sets up where the rest of the story is going. Yeah. Even though we never go back to the caveman days in the second season, we never go back to that uh, family in yeah. the third season. And I felt like this was very much saying to us, this is what we're going to be dealing with mm. for the next nine episodes. Yeah, and I had no idea that it would begin there. No. Because I've not, um, I've not, I've seen the the first trailer that came out for this right. series uh, with, um, uh, like, that kind of introduced what everything kind of would be. But yep. I didn't, I'm, I've kind of created this great brain for myself now. Right. <laughs> where I'm very happy that I forget trailers really easily now. Right. And so I remember when that trailer came out being really excited and talking to you about it and going like, I feel like this show is literally made for you. It's Lindelof doing The Watchmen with a Nine Inch Nails soundtrack and then also had a David Bowie song in the trailer. Like, take and, all my money. And I was like, that was you. I couldn't believe it. Oh. And so that was the last I really <laughs> saw from this and just kind of knowing who was involved with yeah. Lindelof being involved and then seeing who the cast was. Right. And, I didn't, and knowing that it was going to be a sequel or a follow-up to the graphic novel Watchmen yep. and... Um, but also set now and then kind of seeing little hints about it online, really. I didn't really know what to expect. So then coming in and seeing like this real world event, this mm. t- the Tulsa uh, Black Wall Street massacre, really. Right. I-, I had only known about it recently yes. that this even existed, this happened. Um, there was like this article by the great essayist Tanahisi Coates. I've read that as well. That's my first yeah. uh, uh, time knowing anything about it. That was the first same. The first time I knew about it, and that was an article that he wrote for The Atlantic. Yep. And I think for a lot of people uh, in the US especially, uh, were ignorant to it, like you said. And for a lot of people, that was the first time that they encountered even hearing about this like horrible massacre where like 300 people were murdered. Right. Uh, oh. And... That and I, I, what I've heard as well, that was how Lindelof found out about it as well, right? And that's why he wants to write about it. So, this episode opens in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1921, and we're watching a little African American boy who was watching a silent movie about a legend of the Wild West, mm-hmm. U.S. Marshal uh, Bass Reeves. Is it Bass Reeves or Bass Reeves? 
I say bass, but I don't know. I would know. have said bass as well. Yeah. The little boy has obviously seen it before as he mouths the words written on the screen as they're revealed. And the boy's mother plays music on the piano to accompany the movie. But the tears that stream down her face reveal all is not well. And within moments, a bomb falls on the theatre roof and the boy's father enters in a military uniform. He takes his wife and son to some friends who are trying to escape. But unfortunately, they only have room for the boy. So the father places his son in a safe place on the carriage and gives him a note that reads, Watch over this boy. As this family make their escape, there's an explosion and when the boy wakes, the family are dead and the boy is left alone with a baby. He looks back at Tulsa as it burns throughout the night and in one of the many great segues, we cut to modern day Tulsa and a masked policeman pulling a car over, asking the driver to show his papers. So uh, let's dig into that part Mm, right from the beginning. And uh, I... Uh, for, for anyone who doesn't know what the Tulsa Race Riot is, uh, it took place on May 31st to June 1st, 1921, when mobs of white residents attacked black residents and businesses of the Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The attack was carried out on the ground and in the air, destroying more than 35 square blocks of the district, which was considered at the time the wealthiest black community in the United States and was known as Black Wall Street. The riot began over false accusations of a young African-American boy assaulting a young white girl. African-Americans were scared the boy was lynched after white people gathered at the courthouse. Shots were fired and mob violence exploded with 10,000 black people left homeless and property damage being roughly the equivalent of $32 million in today's Mm. rates. The riot was largely omitted from local, state and national histories until a commission investigated the cause of events, resulting in reparations to survivors and their descendants in 2001. And if you don't know about it and you see those planes coming in, Mm. I I don't know about you. Like, I'd I'd read the article, but I'd kind of forgotten the extent to how everything went down. And it's not that I was thinking that it wasn't real, but I was I was watching and thinking, oh, yeah, so this is the Watchmen world. And yes. they've really made this bigger because it's a world that, where superheroes exist. And then you and then you realise, oh, no. That, this is very real. Oh. Yeah. Like, so confronting. Yeah. And I think it's done in a way that's so what you say, where you're like, you're slowly coming to realise like what you're seeing is real. And especially, I, I was confronted by it from the very start where you see the image of like this little black child just staring at the screen and um smiling like he's seeing the joy of like heroes up on the screen like you know which is so much of what um comic book uh media is about it's about the audience it's like feeling this joy this unprecedented joy for their heroes and the the irony of that being that he's watching like this silent film um, with his mum accompanying on the piano. Right. And that immediate imagery of seeing a silent film yep. uh, set in the United States, yep. presumably set in the United States kind of South Midwest area. The movie that comes to mind is the iconic uh, Ku Klux Klan biographical film, right. uh, D.W. Griffith's uh, Birth of a Nation. Right. And that's immediately what you think. So it's, it's, I thought it, it's such a striking moment because that's what, like, that is one of the film, like, the film that's on every book ever is, like, this is, like, the first feature film from the US, the first kind of masterpiece. And it's, like, I see that immediately as a commentary that so much of American art and especially American film has been kind of used as, like, this white propaganda. And to see it kind of be flipped on its head immediately, even though we're in this very real 
real moment. We're seeing this um, uh, Bass Reeves, yeah. who is like he's real, right? He's yes. like a real a real mar- U.S. marshal. So he's uh, I've done a lot of research yeah. for this podcast. Bass Reeves was the first black deputy U.S. marshal west of the Mississippi River, and during his long career was credited with arresting more than three thousand felons. He shot and killed fourteen people mm. in self defense, and it is. Uh, I'm not entirely certain if this is allegedly Mm. or a fact. I've seen, uh, doing my research, there were conflicting reports on this, but allegedly his adventures were the inspiration for The Lone Ranger, Mm. which is interesting because The Lone Ranger, of course, is white. Is white, yeah, with a Native American sidekick. Yeah. And I think seeing that, like, you know, he's someone, like you said, these adventures have been told for many times now yeah. he's become like this folk hero yeah. and immediately you're taken to this moment where you're seeing this kid seeing he's a hero up on the screen right. it's very much like this early superhero commentary he looks like seeing. a superhero when he he's got when he turns up cape. on the plane uh, yeah. on the plane on the on the horse mm. and uh, the way he jumps off at first i thought it was going to be an actual superhero yeah. the, with the way they shot it yeah and like are we going it's this clever. far back in time that we yes. seeing superheroes from this far back oh yeah the uh the director of this episode uh has done an outstanding job uh i've got so many notes here where is she it is anyway uh nicole castle i think Mm. her name is and um she has been she has done an outstanding job yeah you might not know uh some of her previous work, she worked on The Leftovers, but she yeah. made her big break with The Woodsman, with Kevin, uh, Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Yeah. And she wrote the screenplay for that and directed oh, great. that. Yeah. yeah. And and she does an unbelievable job mm. with that opening scene. Yeah. And it is, it's kind of, that, that's what I mean, right from the word go, you're feeling a bit anxious, but you're also... It's it's also thrilling. Like it looks yeah. like it could be on the big screen, don't you? Absolutely, think? looks like a like a war movie. Truly, yeah. Uh, in like the greatest sense of like an epic of that of that proportion, that it doesn't feel like TV straight away. Yeah, and does, especially not serialized TV like this. No. Um, I read this great piece on the way over here uh, from Matt Singer. Oh I yeah. I think uh, oh, I can't remember what publications for Screen Rant maybe. Um, but he's a great one of my favorite critics. Yeah, and he wrote a great piece about this segment, right? And saying that um, that Lindelof is not just adapting the Watchmen, he but he's doing a remake of another story here. And he compared this opening scene to issue one of Superman. Oh, that right. and he said that it's like beat for beat the same thing where it's like the, the society collapsing around them. Yes, this family putting their young child on this carriage to be taken away. Yes, uh, into safety, um, knowing full well that they're staying behind, sacrificing themselves for right. his safety. Going out and then um, crash landing basically out in the Midwest. Right, and then um, in that he instead of him being brought in by a, fa- a farm family he instead is just all alone with just this little baby wrapped up in a little oh. american flag blanket right. and i was just like wow that is i can't not see that now yeah it's yeah. just like the imagery is there where it's just you're seeing this kind of like you're seeing the origin of heroes and then you're seeing the origin of a superhero as well in this one scene right and uh, it's such an archetype as well. Uh, I saw that. Uh, I saw that same article. I was going <laughs> to. You jumped ahead on my notes. God damn it! <laughs> so I sorry. No, my no, favorite. no. That's good. Uh, but it's so fascinating to. Uh, it, it's 
it's like a real world mm. uh, superhero origin, yeah. isn't it? In many ways, absolutely. And uh, instead of being taken in by a kindly family, he's now he's now a grown up because mm. he has to look after the baby, even yeah. though he himself is such a little boy. I tell you what, when the bullet went through. Uh, the, the, the case that he was in, mm. and then he got up and he looked through the hole. I kept thinking, don't look through the hole. <laughs> don't look through the hole. I was yeah. so scared for that kid. Yeah. And you've only been with him for two minutes. Yeah. But you're already empathising and, and on his side. It just brings you in, I think, because it's like it's like this reflexive thing. Because if you're watching this, you'll probably do like superhero right. content. Yeah. And then to see him, re- the first thing you see is this young boy relating to a hero on the screen. Right. It creates this sense of like empathy but also just like this is my gateway character this is how i'm seeing the world right uh it's interesting that later on uh you know we we hear the term refidations when Mm. uh, the little boy uh accuses angela akbar played by regina king of getting her business up which was because of these refidations uh that's a bill that's passed by the president robert redford which allows victims and descendants of radically driven subjugation to not have to pay taxes and Mm. uh, the the descendants of the tulsa riots yeah and what's um what's great about that for anyone who hasn't read the graphic novel uh it's kind of hinted at the end that robert redford is going to run president <laughs> yeah. against Richard Nixon and uh, quite clearly he loses in this world he loses that election because Gerald Ford do you it, mm. it mentioned when the kids are reciting the yeah. presidents Gerald Ford must win the first one it goes back and then but once again he's still a bit of a footnote in history yeah. even when he's won <laughs> still. and still. Uh, and Robert Redford has been the uh, president ever since and it's interesting it appears that even with a uh, uh, a, a very small liberal government, uh, they still have major issues, including, mm. uh, you know, uh, actually getting into this uh, next bit. Isn't it an odd thing as well for, this is, again, us as a perspective as, as Australians, mm. that in so much like science fiction, dystopian US mm. uh, science fiction or speculative fiction, it's shown as like this... Um, as like a symptom of a dystopia or an apocalypse, right. that their prime that their leaders can now have um, more than two terms. But in Australia, oh, right. yeah. <laughs> it's like it was like yeah, John Howe was a prime minister for most of my life growing up, right? Where he was in power for like four terms or something like that, <laughs> right? And so now it's one of those things where I have to like go, oh yes, 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 yeah. Uh, this is something that I must remember: two term, two term prime ministers, two term presidents. Yeah, yeah. Well, here now we don't even really like our prime ministers to do one term, <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> we try to get rid of them as quickly as possible. You had three months, you're out. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, Going back to uh, the the modern times in, mm. in this, so after we've uh, segued into modern Tulsa, we see a cop pull over a man in a in a big kind of uh, a pickup truck, pickup truck, and uh, the cop is uh, is wearing a mask. And uh, there's something about the driver that bothers the policeman, and he returns to his car so he can report to his superiors, and. He has to get permission to have his gun unlocked. Mm. So that's that's the mm. the this world with a liberal government. Yeah. Once again, small L liberal government. Yeah. Where gun control is completely different to how it is now. Yeah. He needs to get the permission to get the it's gun a cop loose. He needs to get permission to get the gun loose. It's crazy. And then uh, they give the you know it's getting stuck. Yeah. They give the permission too late, and then the driver shoots the cop dead while wearing a mask of his own 
Yeah. Uh, and what is that mask? So it's revealed that a militia group known as the Seventh Cavalry, a group of right-leaning individuals who also wear masks like the driver, uh, essentially want to make America great again, but great in a way that is according to them. And all the police are called in, including Angela Abar played by Regina King, who is secretly the vigilante Sister Knight. And they come in to see the footage of the 7th Cavalry with cop and detectives all dressed in masks. There's Sister Knight. Uh, She's brought in a suspect, so the detective called Looking Glass, played by Tim Blake Nelson, takes the man into a pod where he interrogates him. And soon after, Sister Knight takes the same suspect into the bathroom and beats him until she gets the information she wants. So uh, immediately, there's, uh, there's some... Pretty crazy stuff going mm. on here. The masks that the 7th Cavalry are wearing uh, are inspired by the anti-hero Rorschach. Uh, we'll, re- we'll explore the character of Rorschach from the graphic novel later in this podcast series. But uh, essentially, if all you need to really know is he was a right-wing nut job who was a superhero whose journal was found at the mm. end of the graphic novel. And it obviously was printed and a subsection of people have taken his words to heart and it, uh, and it does appear... You know, there's, there's, they, they want things to go back to mm. the way they used to be, uh, and that's a. But what's interesting is, you know, they interrogate the mm. the suspect, and and you know, Regina King's character is, you know, incredibly uh, charismatic, but yeah. she, she, really goes to town on that guy. Yeah. You know, so immediately you're already feeling well. You kind of want me to be on the cop side, yeah. And but maybe the cops aren't perfect, yeah. And these people are racist, but she is African American. It's it's very. Oh, actually, her character is yeah African Vietnamese. Yeah, American. I think that this this everything you've just read this whole this whole um, synopsis of these scenes is such a great example of how much stuff there is. Uh, in the way of exposition and how right. well this episode, this pilot episode, kind of bu- builds the world around it, but also delivers exposition in a really elegant way of right. either showing or telling in kind of like in in both forms. Like you've still you've got that amazing scene that we just talked about of like right. this guy not being able to get the gun out and needing to call up to get permission for his gun to be released. Right. This cop, where you're like that is so cleverly done and it, it creates this like a moment of tension yeah. where you're also f- like this moment of tension like is he going to get this gun out in time right but also you're understanding like oh but now so cops can't just get their guns out whenever right this is a different world to the what I'm living in now this is an aspect of this speculative fiction of the f- of the present day in an alternate reality yes and it's um, it creates like a, an under- a greater understanding of what's happening in the world around us then we've got this great scene with Regina King Doing like a parent teach, like a show right. career day show and tell thing yeah. at her children's um, her children's school, where she talks about like her Vietnamese uh, American heritage almost, right. where she's like, it's already in Watchmen that Vietnam Vietnam becomes a thirty. 30- Fifty-second uh, se- uh, state or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because because they because for those who haven't mm. read the graphic novel in this universe yeah america wins vietnam because they had the one person who had superpowers which yeah. was the they dr manhattan bond man right and then so it's like it's so cool to see it be developed in this way where it's like you're understanding like oh the reality of it being a state right. of the united states 
And then you're finding out so much stuff in that scene just kind of being dripped through right. of like what the world is, the Redford, uh, the Robert Redford reparations. Yeah. What is it called? Redford. Refidations. Refid- yeah, it's a tongue. It's, 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 it's like it. Obamacare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like that being kind of dripped through and the idea yeah. that there was this... Um, this like notorious night where everyone, the white night, the white night, where what? How would you describe it? Well, it sounds like it is from what we've once again they they trip feed this all to you. Uh, Essentially, the Seventh Cavalry went and attacked all the cops, and the police now have to wear masks. Mm. So, and they're not even allowed to tell people what their jobs are, which we find out pretty early Mm. on, and. So now they're wearing masks so they can protect themselves from doing their jobs. And this militia group has disappeared and is now making a comeback and Mm. seems to have some sort of plan. And like you're saying, there's all this conflicting perspective where you're like... You were saying like, oh, but they're a cop, but they're this, but they're that. Mm. But it's also mass vigilante. It's also this, uh, a government-sanctioned mass vigilante. And then they're against this um, They're against this militia. Right. And then you're thinking like, obviously, the militia is bad because it's all about this white, con- like this white power, cons- uh, white power group coming together. Right. And then you're, but they're also... Um, believe that there's a conspiracy that the American government invented this giant squid, the big squid, the titular big squid of the podcast. Right. But, and then you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, the well, conspiracy is real. It's one of my, uh, it was one of my favourite moments where, yeah. you know, they ask, uh, you know, when he's, when the when the suspect is taken into that pod and he's being grilled and they're trying mm. to work out if he knows anything. And uh, he's, uh, they the suspect is asked. Maybe the uh, reigning squiz is the is the government, or you know, it's a conspiracy to keep you in mm. place. And it might not be the government, but we know from the comic that a giant squid was deliberately sent to New York mm. that killed three million people to make the world be the what the villain yeah. Adrian Veidt, and even calling him a villain is simplistic. Yeah wants the world to be. So they're awful, but there's a there's a hint of truth in it. And mm. and often in the real world, and once again, this is one of the things that makes you feel anxious. Yeah. In the real world, often awful people will They'll have a grain of truth. They'll have a grain of truth. That can suck you in. And they'll say and and it makes them sound very rational. Mm. And and what's also interesting about it is because there's that grain of truth there, if you believe in it, then you wouldn't believe those people are awful. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's, it's such, a, such a small moment. But that world building is, oh, man, yeah. there are some problems going on here, right? Can we talk about the performances of some of our leads? Because this is where we really get introduced to them. Oh, for yeah, For the first yeah. time, these characters. Because I think Regina King, she's one of the... The great actors who I'm so glad is having like this huge moment over having, the last few years. Right, won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in the movie If Bill Street Could Talk, and she was phenomenal Incredible in that. Incredible performance. And she is uh, all the way through the second season of The Leftovers mm-hmm. and has that great scene. Uh, that, you know, she only has a few scenes in mm. the third season. Yeah. But there's that great moment where she's hanging out with Nora mm. and, you know, essentially says she was depressed. So what did she do? Oh, I bought a trampoline. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that great scene of the two of them bouncing on a trampoline. Yeah. 
forgetting their problems. She is she is phenomenal, and you can't like. I know it's easy to say because she's quite clearly the character we spend the most time mm. with in this, but she is mesmerizing, and she yeah. goes from being a mum to someone you do not want to deal with to being like this badass like special ops marine type person oh yes that just you, night just you can believe you can believe it and I just right. I adore the costume that she's wearing as well or for her um, her alter ego vigilante sister night yeah where it's like very much a found costume right. like it's not like an elaborate uh, superhero costume that we're used to seeing on the big screen these right. days, um, or even the elaborate costumes we're used to, like seeing the Crime Busters or the, in the Watchmen film have. Right. And it's very much a found costume where it's like this kind of hoodie with yep. like a a cowl mask that comes up over her mouth, and then she has a painted on domino mask. Yeah. And then the effect of having that all come together like that, her face is just completely night right. apart from, and she's got the her amazing like these bright eyes kind of yeah. coming through this painted face and it's just like it's a very striking superhero image that I've not seen before in right. this way and also it's it, it, in many ways I like your description of it where it's mm. like this is being put together and this is mm. how uh, you know this is how she's uh, created this uh, this persona but what was fascinating was the first time you see her get into that role mm. it's it's cut like you've seen yep. Batman get, yes. get his uniform Very on. Very Schumacher Iron style. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's such a... And, and with that... And that gearing up montage. Oh, and the music by Trent Reznor yeah. and Atticus Ross. Like That's part of why you feel anxious. Like yeah. that, that music is... When you don't notice it's there, it's there. Mm. And that's uh, such a fascinating scene to see her pull it all together. And she is... She is unbelievable. Yeah. Even uh, there's there's a moment later on where Don Johnson's character makes a joke, and she's she's very respectful, mm. but she because it's her boss, but she chides him, and she says, ah, "You're not allowed to make that joke because it's uh, a reference to the theatre uh, yeah. play that he'd just seen, which we'll get to in a sec." But uh, yeah, her performance is great, and uh, I read that Lindelof really pushed her, uh, like really sold her. Mm. Uh, this idea and then sent her the first script and then at that scene there in the script he had an envelope with a note on it saying don't open this until you get to the end mm. and when she got to the end opened it up there was this artist rendition of Sister Night Wow! and she was like yep you got me wow. I'm in wow. thank goodness well uh, soon the mass police make an attack on a subsection of the 7th Cavalry and manage to take down the men, but not before their only hostage takes a pill that kills him before he can be inter- interrogated, which is fascinating because in the Watchmen graphic novel, Adrian Veet is supposedly attacked mm. by an assailant who takes a pill, but you learn later on, he put the pill in the guy's mouth because it was yep. all a setup to make sure that people didn't suspect him that for he what was, he was getting up yeah. to. So that's a nice little inversion. Uh, then we cut to a wealthy man who is unnamed, but we have our ideas on who it is. It's played by Jeremy Irons, riding his horse on the English countryside. He is riding a play in the nude while his bumbling servants present him with a cake to celebrate an anniversary of some sort. And I, I almost felt relieved with these moments because, mm. they were, because they were so strange and they were so funny. Such a strange change of tone as well. Yes. 
And it, it, it's, it's a bit of a relief, isn't mm, it, to get those absolutely. that Jeremy Irons bit where you're just going, oh, I just get to enjoy it. But there's, there's also down. unsettling moments in it. Like, he is oh. nude writing and his female servant is massaging, massaging his, his thigh, legs. his inner yeah. thigh. Yes. And it's very, everything about this is so odd, right. these scenes, where everyone seems, it's much more performative than everything else. Everything else has like a naturalism around it, whereas this is almost like the way that the dialogue's kind of stilted, yep. the way that there's like this kind of politeness over everything. Right. It's almost like you start going into like a fucking Yorgos Lanthimos film for right. this one, for like these two or three scenes, <laughs> where you're like, this is so different to like this reality that's yep. been set up everywhere else. And so many. I really, as soon as I, that was the first time I had that Lanthimos thought, and now I can't get it out of my head. Oh, it's so funny! I immediately was like, "Well, they should have had lobsters raining." Yeah, down. <laughs> and then they've got there's this moment where they're around the table, they're around the table, and it's, they're celebrating some anniversary. I'm not sure what the anniversary yes. is, but it's an anniversary of some kind, and they they bake this beautiful, elegant looking cake, and he's like, uh, the one of these manservants to. Um, to cut it up or to divvy it up, and, he gives him a horseshoe. Right. And I'm like, this is fucking weird. It's so weird. Like, what is the horseshoe? <laughs> What's the horseshoe? So... It reminds me of that scene in Dogtooth where, like, they're around, the, t- the family's around the table and then you can clearly find out that the girls have no knowledge of what real words mean where they're like, can you pass me the table? And, right. Or pass me the ocean or right. something. And they ha- they're handed um, uh, the salt shaker. Right. When there's, they've been trained, all these words mean different things. And I'm just like, what is this? How do these people in this not know that what you're doing is batshit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to hand him a, to hand him a horseshoe. And he handles it very calmly and he goes, well, you know, this is not what we use for this kind of thing. And he just digs in with his fork, has one bite. Oh, yeah, and it's awful. Mm. Like, it's obviously awful yeah. because it's made from something that he gave to them, yeah. this honeycomb. Yeah. And you see immediately the look in his eyes. It's like, oh, this isn't going to be good. Yeah. And then he takes a bite out of it and it's awful. And uh, then he declares to them yeah. that he's writing a play and he would like these two manservants to be uh, the people who act it out. And uh, so... Speculation time. Mm-hmm. So, at an earlier point, we see someone reading a paper where it says that, uh, and the news headline is Adrian Beat declared dead. Yeah, Adrian once again. Who if, I feel like everyone would have read uh, gra- uh, the Love graphic Watch. novel, but in case they haven't, Adrian Veet, of course, is uh, the bad guy. And after Watchmen, he's rich. He's powerful. He must have lived in seclusion mm. and has died. But y- you kind of get the impression that. Jeremy Irons is Adrian Veidt. Yeah, everything leading up to this has led me to believe that people are calling him Adrian Veidt, people are calling him Ozymandias right. in uh, their discussions on this show. Right. Um, but HBO has been cagey and not said anything that this is him. So what's fascinating about that is, you know, they did a big uh, convention mm. and they put all the actors that were appearing and underneath Jeremy Irons they'd written uh, who you think it is. Oh, great. But, so anyway, this gets me to, uh, we'll get to the end of the synopsis because mm. I reckon you're onto something there. Mm. But uh, anyway, 
the, the episode essentially finishes where the cops celebrate their victory over this little subsection of the 7th uh, Calvary, and the night feels like it's going to be a peaceful one, but the Tulsa Chief of Police, Judd Crawford, Don Johnson, is called out to uh, check on the policeman who was mm. shot in the beginning, and his car has the wheels blown out, and he is taken away. And Sister Knight... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Uh, Angela is called at home and uh, whoever it is that's called her knows who she really is. And she heads out to where the person on the phone tells her to go and she finds... Uh, Judd hanging from a tree, dead, and sitting underneath is a very old African-American in a wheelchair, a person Angela had seen earlier in the day declaring that he could lift 200 pounds. And he's sitting there in the wheelchair, and in his hands is an old piece of paper with the words written on it, watch over this boy, which implies that it's that little boy from Mm. the beginning. And so I find it fascinating that you say that because I wonder if you're onto something. And we could be wrong about this, which is half the fun of mm. speculating. But all the way through the Don Johnson parts, and Don, and he's really prominent in this Absolutely. episode. And yeah. I, I've, I've, once again, part of my anxiety, like when I say anxiety, like mm. fun anxiety, yes. uh, was I thought that he was going to be Dan Dryberg from mm. the graphic novel. Yeah, because there's all. I these... looked up his name. Like, what? The, what's the characters that he's playing? Because I'm like, is this Dan? Yes, and I is this Night Owl? So he flies around uh, when they in an owl the ship. It's in the owl ship. Yeah, but, but when it crashes, you can see the words "police" written on it. Yep. So I wonder if that technology was found and mm. then used by the police. Yeah, appropriated. But he also has a copy of Hollis Mason's Under the Hood on that his was desk. The one Easter egg that I noticed in this basically. Right. Where I was like, that's it, under the hood. Right. And then there is also uh when Regina Davis goes in and is sitting there drinking, she's drinking from mm. an owl shaped yeah. mug. And Night Owl, the the the, the, yeah. the the ship they're flying around in is called Archie. Uh, After Archimedes, right? The that is correct. From the sword and the stone. That is correct. So, uh, you know, uh, Archimedes, of course, the Greek mathematician, physicist, engineer, inventor, and astronomer. So and bathtub lover. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things where you go. I thought that was going to be Dan. Have you? Yeah. Like I. I literally looked it up watching it because I was like, I'm, sh- I was like, this isn't him. This isn't him. Who is this? And um, 
it's that thing. It's a. It's like. I love that in a pilot where it kind of fakes you out like this. Lindelof did it already with Lost, where yes. we're following uh, the Jack character for uh, the pilot, and you're and there's all this stuff where it's you've heard that like, oh, Jack was meant to die at the end of the Lost pilot, but then we love Matthew's performance right. so much that we kept him. So this is uh, one of my notes for you, mm. uh, which I had a feeling you would be across this. Yeah. But uh, the idea always was uh, to film the pilot for Lost. Yeah. Kill off Jack two thirds of the way through. Yeah. Kate was going to be the leader. The protagonist, yeah. And the scene where they find the pilot mm. dead at the top of the tree was meant to be Jack. Yeah. And they were going to get Michael Keaton to play yeah. Jack. I remember hearing Michael Keaton, maybe Ray Liotta for a minute as yeah. well as all these things I heard about But it. Michael Keaton was the big one. Wow. And so you would have watched it and then you would have gotten to the end and gone, well, nobody's safe. Yeah. And uh, the, the reason they couldn't do it was because the ABC executives said that... They thought the pilot was brilliant, but you can't kill him off mm. because he's your way into that world. Yep. And if you throw him out, take him out, then then the audience loses a perspective. Yeah. And uh, I, I have a feeling, and I'd be curious to know what you think of this, I feel like that was good advice for when Lost began. Yes. Which was, what, 2004? Yeah, it would have been that. Right. Yeah. So, but... This is the perfect time because there's so much yep. good TV that people have watched. Their their idea of the language of TV and yep. storytelling is so much more sophisticated Absolutely. that you can do it now and uh, kill off a main character in the, in the first episode and it does exactly what they wanted and to do back in Lost, which is if they'd done that to Jack, you would have gone, nobody can survive this. Yeah. We've only got eight more episodes of this. Exactly. And like <laughs> you're saying, people are so much more literate now. Yeah. And I think even Lindelof is aware of like the audience's uh, people now. Now they know that it's a Regina King that's a... Um, that is his the the surrogate in for the audience now, or it's another character, or it's yeah. that because you I, I'm like I love Don Johnson, I love this performance, oh. but I'm not like oh he's my leader, my protagonist. I'm like he's the mentor character in this or right. something. And so you know what happens in like the classical uh, hero's journey act structure, the mentor dies very early on, right. inspiring our hero to uh, you know find their actualization out there in the world. Right. And um, you know I love this in a pilot. I'm I'm looking yeah. at your shelves. I see you've got the shield up on here. Oh yeah, that's the pilot for the shield too. Right, where we've got like that. Our, our that's the true one where our character in oh. to the world yes. is popped off at the end. Oh my Be- lord! To me, shield best pilot of all time still. Oh yeah, and this would go up there. I would say at this point. But, well, um, you know, what's funny is that Lindelof and Sean Ryan both mm. started off on Nash Bridges, which yeah. was the uh, Don Johnson TV series. Yeah. Also had Carlton Cuse, who did Lost. Also yeah. had uh, uh, the guy who did The Walking Dead. Man, sir, uh, I've got the oh, wrong name yeah, in my yeah, head. I know who you're but about. Uh, yeah. uh, about four or five writers wow. who worked on that came out of it. And yeah. I remember reading an interview about the, uh, an article about The Shield where Lindelof because he's friends with Sean Ryan, had been uh, given the pilot and he mm. read it and said, oh, well, this is great, but there's no way they're going to let you do that. And yeah. then they did it and he was like, holy shit. Yeah. And, uh, and The Shield is the one of the all-time underrated TV Absolutely. shows where two things. One is 
and I agree with the uh, TV critic Alan Seppenwall on this, who mm. wrote in uh, The Revolution Will Be Televised. The Out of all those Golden Age shows, The Shield is the only one that can say its final season was its best. Yeah. And everything that happens in that final final, final moment of the final, final episode is all a ramification of what happens from the end of the pilot. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, great. If you've not seen The Shield, start binging it. Oh, it Amazon Prime. Yes, get into <laughs> it, people. And also, it is... If if you are missing the adrenaline rush yeah. of Breaking Bad, yeah. The Shield has you covered yeah. in ways that will make you feel dirty. And The Shield is better than Breaking Bad. I'll it is. say it. It's way better. Yes. Vic Mackey is sick Mackey, if you ask me. I love him. <laughs> I love Michael Chiklis. He is one of my guys. I love Michael oh, Chiklis. Chiklis is mesmerizing. Oh, God. I would love Chiklis to be in this as the thing coming back as a superhero I character. I don't care why he's in it. Just <laughs> yeah, get him in it. Just get him back in. That was where I discovered Walton Goggins. Yeah, it's where Walton Goggins, you'll discover him oh. there. It's got Glenn Close in it. It's got For season five. Whittaker. She's in all of season five. Exactly. And, and you know what she is? Glenn Close. Yeah. She's so good. <laughs> yeah. She's fucking Glenn Beyond, dude. She's <laughs> she's better than Close. Um, yeah. Man, the great Shield. show. The Shield yes. is a great show. Um, and yeah, like you say, I, that's so funny. I've never knew that connection before. Right. That they were all in this little Nash Bridges crew. Yeah. And Don Johnson, I saw you tweet today that Don. we're in the Don Johnson Renaissance. Did you tweet that? The what? Sorry, I thought I thought I thought I might have seen you tweet something about Don Johnson today. Oh, I don't know. I don't think I did. I was in a bit of a daze afterwards. Yeah, maybe it was just you texted me the words Don Johnson. Oh. That sounds more likely. <laughs> yeah, I... he's just like he's such an actor that I get excited to see now. Yes, he's so good, and he's so like in this pilot. You mm. know, like you are kind of oh yeah, Don Johnson's here. He's the the, the chief of police, yep. you know, that, that great scene where he's talking to all the cops after they've watched this really scary, yeah. really scary video by the 7th Cavalry. And yeah. uh, the um, and it's such a, like, once again, like, uh, it's probably sounding quite dour, but the episode has really funny moments. Like, so all the cops are masked, and then there's some people in their costumes, and then there's some guy who really hasn't taken, made much effort. He's just cut the top off of a, Mask of a panda. Yeah, a mascot. He's a wearing mascot. like a panda mascot mask. And he seems to have an immense amount of power in the room. Immense. And I'm just like, this is sick. Like, I love that this world is like, this guy couldn't give a shit about being right. masked, but he has to be. What? And Don Johnson's the only cop that we're seeing without a mask on ever. Right. There's moments where we're seeing him in the owl ship with... um. Uh, whoever the other person on oh, the mission Pirate is as Jenny well. Is Pirate Jenny. Yeah. She's fully masked the entire time, even though it's just them in a room together, basically. Mm. Oh, man. There's it so is... much to do with masks in this that I'm like, I can't wait to see where this goes with. You know, you, you have to find it funny. In Once again, going back to that scene where they've just watched the, the video, you've got to find it funny that there's a guy in a red costume, and that's and I reckon it's the worst costume. Like, mm. he's really cobbled this shit together and he's eating food and it's all sticking to the outside of his mask and it looks like underwear on the head the red scare he's got (laughs) the the red red scare scare, right he looks like underwear head so what do you so i found that name to be interesting because Mm. looking glass makes sense and and tim blake nelson who oh man i love tim blake nelson so good yeah but red scare kind of implies to me that maybe there is still good relations with 
Russia, mm. maybe, after the end of the graphic novel. Yeah, which is like... like a, That's good. I didn't think about that. That's yeah. really good because it's like... You know, that's a moment of exposition as well. We're right. like, is that the case? Because that's what Adrian Veet's whole purpose was, was right. to bring the world together right. with a cataclysmic event that would unite them from yes. a force from from outside our understanding. Yeah. And so we're, that's... A, like, and he's got a, a an accent of some kind as well. Yeah. So, like, is that it? Is that... Is the world unified still? Right. It's fascinating to know look there's uh there's so much that we could go into and we're already banging on at uh at this mark but here's some other things that Mm -hmm. i thought you might find interesting uh, and especially for people who aren't as au fait with the graphic novel they're probably wondering why there's battery operated cars Mm. uh in the comic dr manhattan is the only superpowered hero uh little uh little news for you when we discussed the chapter in the comic about dr manhattan uh, Richard Fadler is our guest. He oh, has a lot gosh. of interesting stuff to say One about of the greats. that. Yeah. I can't wait. Uh, and in the comic, uh, Dr. Manhattan's powers revolutionized battery power, resulting in electric cars, etc. But what's interesting, and I don't know if you noticed this, in the comic, Adrian Veet sets Dr. Manhattan up and spreads this uh, fake news, mm. well before that term ever mm. existed, that being around Dr. Manhattan, his powers cause cancer. Yeah. So... Nobody uses those types of batteries anymore because they obviously, oh, once gosh. again, the world the world building would yeah. have been, there would have been people going, oh, well, if he gives you cancer, then these batteries must give you cancer. So yeah. there's different types of batteries. And that's what the 7th uh, Cavalry were um, collecting in their yeah. little hideout. Oh. And we still don't know what that was for either. The, I think uh, they're collecting the batteries from all the watches. Yeah, yeah, yeah and their phones and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And they have a lot too. Yeah. Angela uh, thinks that they're going to be uh, they're making a bomb, but it's not really confirmed. We and, don't know. And they all end up dead. Yeah. By the way, did you find the cows getting slaughtered to be confronting as Horrific. well? Horrific. Oh yes. my god! <laughs> Using cows for cover, I've never seen that before. Interesting on that point of the technology as well was this is a world that. The use of internet is very minor. Well, I don't think there is the internet. Yeah. There is no internet. And there's... No papers. Newspapers are still selling. People are still selling newspapers. No one... There's not a cell phone in this. Like, we see a pager, not a cell phone. And we see conversations happen on landline phones. Yeah. But no cell phones at all. No, no. I was wrong. That that was pages and stuff that they were taking. Oh, yeah. Pages. Yeah. 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 Um... Did you, uh, w- once again, there was some kind of nice comic book flourishes. <laughs> By the way, I've never said cell phone before. Oh, I've yeah. Been, I'm totally in an American mindset after <laughs> watching this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this, is how, this is how they take over the world. <laughs> what were you saying? Sorry. Um, there are, the, the comic in its storytelling structure uses mm. irony as a way to yep. sell moments. So you'll look at a panel and the panel will be telling you something, but the writing will be telling you something Mm, different, but they kind of match up. And the first time we see that news report where they've got uh, satellites trained on Mars and they can see Dr. Manhattan, who is still there. Uh, It looks like he's building something and then pulling it down. But the the, uh, overlay of the the voice talking is in contrast Mm. to that, but also commenting on that of pulling down walls. And I was like, you see that all the way through this mm. episode. And it's like, oh, that's a that's a nice little touch yeah. as well. And sometimes it almost looked like, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying 
all the time, but sometimes it kind of had that Wes Anderson, Stanley Kubrick kind symmetry. of symmetry, yeah. especially when there's one point when they're looking down on the table and it looks, it's round, it looks like a clock, mm. you know, all of that stuff right in the middle of the screen. And yeah. It, it was quite, quite beautiful to look at. Um, people might be wondering uh, what is up with the squids raining down. Uh, as we've already mentioned, at the end of the uh, graphic novel, Adrian Veet has, with a bunch of scientists, made an alien-looking squid, which he teleports into New York that kills three million people, which is to imply that there is an attack from outer space mm-hmm. and we have to unite. I don't know about you, I found that really... I, like yeah. The moment that the sirens started going off, it immediately reminded me, and people started ducking. I thought it was like... You'd see these uh, little films made in the 50s for, you know, duck and cover yeah. when there's going to be, uh, uh, you know... An airstrike. An airstrike. Yeah. So I immediately thought, oh, do they do they think there's going to be an attack? Yeah. And then next minute, it just starts raining these tiny little squid. And everyone... It's, it obviously happens so much because no one's really freaked out. They're, yeah. they're, if anything, they're just a bit... Ah, for fuck's sake! Yeah, what is it? Do you think it's a warning that the that these this, this th- transdimensional threat can still return? Or uh, but who? But we know that's not real. So yeah. who's doing that? Yeah, and uh, like in the background uh, when we see uh, Regina King at the school doing her presentation, mm. in the background there's a big poster about Wait. the anatomy of a squid. Yeah. You know, there's that with the poster of the four great presidents, which were Washington, Lincoln, Nixon, and Redford. Yeah. And even in one of the images, you see that Richard Nixon's face is on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. If Nixon was alive, he'd be wrapped. He'd be like, (laughs) why why, why can't I go there? God, if only it was real. (laughs) Yeah. Um, when, uh, When Jeremy Irons' character is writing the play The Watchmaker's Son... That seems like it's a reference to Dr. Manhattan, who, once mm. again, we will go into that more with uh, Richard Fadler. But the uh, before he became Dr. Manhattan, he was John Osterman, yep. and he was the son of a watchmaker. Yeah. And once uh, once the nuclear uh, atomic bomb was made, his father uh, told him he shouldn't be a watchmaker anymore and he should get into the sciences, and that's how he ends up. Yeah. Uh, fascinating character in the comic, Dr. Mm. Manhattan. For someone who was, uh, in so many ways omnipotent he's also extremely passive yeah. and uh, easily kind of maneuvered which yeah. is which is fascinating um you, he's omnipotent and impotent i would say yeah yeah, yeah. a lot of the characters are literally <laughs> impotent, impotent. In, the, in the watchman graphic novel and you get a glimpse of dr manhattan in this as well yes you see him for well, like a on s- the mar- on yeah, mars you know exactly just- Making a little castle. What's he doing? We don't know. It's a bit lonely. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Uh, I thought you might be interested to know uh, what's going on with Oklahoma being played by an all-black cast Mm. and the implication of that. Uh, The musical Oklahoma, which is set in 1906 and tells the story of a farm girl who was courted by two rival suitors, cowboy Curly McLean and the frightening Judd Fry. It has always been seen as a fun musical, but in recent times there has been a production that points at the darkness at the heart of it and in Oklahoma which I have never seen uh, I would very much upset Hugh Jackman with that comment Uh, in the end Judd is hanged which is interesting because in this Don Johnson's character is named Judd and he is hanged as well Mm. even though when he talks about his character starring in a production of Oklahoma Mm. 
he played Curly. Yeah. Uh, so and that's that's the bit where uh, the dinner table where you see um, Don Johnson's character make a joke about Black Oklahoma and Angela. Mm. Uh, you know, gently rebukes him for making a joke that isn't his to make, yeah. which is a little taste of this world's history and dynamics. Um, I've read some uh, interesting critiques uh, by uh, the American journalist Angelica Jade Bastian. I think mm. that's how you pronounce her last name, talking about she loved the pilot, but she feels a little bit of discomfort in siding with cops while mm. critiquing white supremacists. Yeah. Uh, so what I'll do is on the big squid... Uh, Facebook page. I'm gonna. It, it's so. I, I feel like it's so complicated, and mm. it's not even necessarily uh, something that I would want to trivialize by going through quickly. Yeah. I'll put up uh, her article, and I'll put up an article about Oklahoma, so people can go and have a read. Yeah, great. If they want to, uh, yeah, really that, do a deep that dive. That Tanahisi Coates article from the Atlantic yes. must read. Oh yes, we'll put that up as well. I actually might. Uh, I'll. Uh, Write that down as a little note, um, but yeah, it's a it, it's a it's an interesting. I I don't think she's making it. I've seen some writers say that it's a, a criticism, uh, but I, I'm not sure she's critiquing it. I think she's mm. kind of just pointing out that it does make her feel awkward. But you mm. know, it's uh, you know, Damon Lindelof has said you know as a white person, uh, as a white man, mm. he's deeply affected intellectually by racism and he doesn't he's been very careful about going into this because it's not his place to tell these stories but at the same time you have to tell the stories that affect you in the way they do anyway i think it's uh i think there's a part of him you know in the interviews i've read there's parts where he's sort of saying you know, sometimes I'm just so wrapped with what I've made and then sometimes I think, oh my God, what have I done? And yeah. you know, this is a, there is a, a, a very specific energy and frisson to this uh, pilot and I can see that that's going to follow all the way through, yeah. which is interesting. Um, I also loved the American hero story, Minutemen, which, <gasps> yep. so, which also adds a little bit of levity yeah. to... This cheesy yes. adaptation of the book... Uh, of of, uh, the, of the heroes from the 30s. The heroes from the 30s. Yeah. And it's funny to see it in this way because it's like, you know, it's a parody of kind of like American horror story, American yes. crime story, yes. those shows. and uh, But it's framed that the Hooded Justice is the main character of right. the show. The protagonist who's such a, such a nothing character. He has a presence in the book, uh, but he's not a lead. He's no. not even... A, 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 you don't even see him in anything other than flashback right and a character that it's hinted and revealed that he's like uh, uh in the closet homosexual who has a fake relationship with uh the silk specter yeah and i remember an episode with that you and i recorded about the watchman graphic novel be coming out in a few weeks i guess i know no. it'll be coming out at the end of this week but end I'll, of this I'll, week i'll plug oh, it great. uh after we're done here. Yeah, we talked about. Uh, I I remember talking about how like the hooded justice has the worst costume, yes. and I think it's like fascinating that it's so funny that they're showcasing him in that exact same costume. Right, and that's kind of what makes him perfect for this cheesy yeah. TV show. Absolutely, because it just fits it so perfectly. He's like this hooded sacked guy. <laughs> he's got a sack for a head, and then he's got like a noose around his neck, right. and it's like <laughs> tying the costume together. It's like what's happening. Here. What is this? Mate, it's great. So, anyway, I, I love the pilot. Mm. And, 
you know, there, there's going to be plenty more for us to unpack. I'm sure there is stuff that we have missed as well. Uh, I thought you will find this interesting. Uh-huh. As soon as the episode finished, my phone rings and it's my mum. My 66-year-old mum. Yeah. And I have to point out, she has been a good mum because that woman who had no interest in comics yeah. read Watchmen when oh I was a gosh. teenager, when I was a 13-year-old, yeah. 14-year-old boy saying, nah, it's for grown-ups and yeah. good on my mum. She she went through she it. She read it oh, and man. she thought it was great. That's and great. My so, mum is the same age and I never had that shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never had that. Mum... Mum was very good in that way, and she called me, yeah. and she was like, holy shit, she loved it. Right. Like, she thought she she loved The Leftovers. Oh, okay, great. She she admired Lost for what they were doing, but it wasn't for her. Yeah. And she sat down, and she loved every aspect of wow. this. And I thought, here's a little, hopefully after each episode, she'll give me a little fact, because she gave me a little fact yep. that I thought would be fun. So a mum fact. Oh, I've got to hear these mum facts. So, uh, Lewis Gossett Jr., mm-hmm. who is the African-American man in the wheelchair, yep. uh, who is uh, possibly that little boy from the start all the way through to the end. Here's a little mum fact. Lewis Gossett Jr. was known as Lou Gossett before appearing in the 1977 miniseries Roots that told the story about a man who was kidnapped from his African village and taken to Virginia where he served as a slave on a plantation. Lewis changed his name to Lewis Gossett Jr. after Roots to honour his past and his father. And mm. that's what he took from the series. So wow. even that's a nice little tasty yeah. tidbit fitting in with everything else that's going on yeah. in this story. That's a great mum fact. Oh, mum. She's full of them. <laughs> she's great. Um, and I've got some squid bits for you. Ooh, squid bits. Let's are give those squid bits. Tiny little things that I noticed that I'm just going to throw out there. Uh, at the end of the episode, when the blood that falls on Judd's badge, on his sheriff badge, yeah. it falls in exactly the same shape as the blood mark from the comic where yeah. it appears on... On the comedian's, comedian's badge. smiley badge. I'm yeah. sure you picked that up. Yeah. But it's pretty cool, wasn't yeah, it? Like it's you... pretty cool. you got to mention it. You can't just leave it. It's like, yeah. mention it. I feel like that's one that, um, because the image, that's that's the image of the Watchman is a little right. the bad, smiley badge with a little splatter of blood on it. Yeah. I feel like if you'd never read the comic, you'd go, oh, I know this image. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, uh, what a what a cracking last mm. image to finish on as well. Uh, I, I've already mentioned uh, Richard Nixon's face on Mount Rushmore, just yep. in the background. Uh, there's a news report about Senator Joe Keane Jr. running against Robert Redford. And that would imply he's the son of Senator Keane, who is a character that you don't... I don't think you ever see him in the original mm. graphic novel, but his presence is really important because Senator Keane, in 1977, introduces an act that bans costume vigilantes from running around uh, yes. uh, unless they have government supervision. Yep. So it looks like that is going to be mm. the son of... Uh, played by James Walk, who, for any fans of Mad Men, was Bob, who was yeah. one of the great characters yeah. in Mad Men. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing him turn up. Um, in the backgrounds of where the Seventh Cavalry were hiding, there's a poster with superhero on it for a for a bank, and yeah. that's the superhero Dollar Bill, 
who once again is from... He's a Minuteman, right? He's a Minuteman uh, from the 30s and 40s. Uh, and he ended up becoming a, a corporate mascot for yep. a, a chain of banks. And that character, it, it's, it's mentioned in Hollis Mason's mm. autobiography. The character is killed when he tries to stop a bank robbery at one of the banks he represented. Uh, his cape gets caught in a revolving door and he gets shot at yeah. point blank range. And that, that to me is like one of those tasty... One of those tasty bits of satire yeah. that people forget about when, when they talk about Watchmen being dark and gritty. It's like, hey, one of the guys just gets killed because his cape gets caught in yeah. the door. It's like something you more think of that's from The Incredibles than, uh, <laughs> than The Watchmen. So, uh, so you know, good to see his posters still yeah. in, in the background. Um, and prominently featured as well. It's in the, it's in the cavalry, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, I wonder what the link is there. Yeah. Yeah, interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, and the, I, thought, I thought it was really interesting that this season is nine episodes. Mm. And then I remembered, and this, this is for the real nerds out there, mm. a big shout out to all my peeps. <laughs> the comic is created in nine panel grids. Oh, boy. So. Wow. Could be a coincidence. Could be. But whatever. I'll yeah. throw it out there. Yeah. And if you like it, you I like, like it. it. And if you think that's too much, well... You're probably correct. You got that three act structure. <laughs> I like that three by three. I like it. But um, is there anything else that you want to add? To um, not really this? from this episode. I think I, I, I'm like I said, it's a great pilot. Yeah. Uh, I'm cannot wait for the next episode. Yeah. Uh, what do I want this series to explore? Maybe more that I'm interested about. I'm really interested in finding more about Robert Redford as as the president. Oh, yeah. Um, I keep saying Prime Minister because it's something I'm writing at the moment. Right. As the president um, being, uh, you know, we know a lot of these times and like, oh gosh, trying to make it as like a, a current day contemporary study. We're in power. We've got like an extremely conservative right wing president. Yeah. And, you know, the in this world, Robert Redford is a prime minister, is the president. And in like this dystopian future, you very rarely see it be a small L liberal progressive. And right. we know Robert Redford in popular culture and in the actual culture as being someone who's pro gun control, yeah. um, progressive on like most f- factors, I would say. Yeah. And a champion of independent cinema, right. Sundance kid. I think he's even, um, disparagingly referred to as the Sundancer or something oh, like yeah. that. So you know? I'm curious to find out more about that, like what uh, what his place in the world is. Well, I wonder if we'll, uh, like, uh, from all reports, he's not appearing in it. Oh, really? Yeah, I oh, think okay. that was a bit of misinformation. Uh, like, so I think his yeah. image is allowed to be used and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, that might be bullshit as well. Like, yeah. maybe he'll turn up in the last episode. Like, who knows? But I'm like, I like I like the idea of exploring the idea of this authoritarian yet liberal uh, government. Right. And, and seeing what that's like. Well, the, the story is set September 8th. That, that first episode starts mm. September 8, 2019. So that dystopian future is a few weeks old. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there is still... There's still problems, which mm. is uh, a really healthy way of looking at things. You know, mm. we can often just think our way is right and yeah. everything will be perfect. But, you know, it is a place without the internet. You've got those airships 
floating around, just blaring advertising. Mm. You know, that looks like it's even more difficult to get away from. <laughs> than, uh, yeah, there's than no ad block online. for that. Yeah, I know. Uh, but uh, I wonder if we'll see him, but or maybe we'll just feel yeah. his presence and all his decisions all the way through. Yeah, I find that really interesting to follow that. Especially that is a, a divergent from having, you know, the corrupt Richard Nixon being right. the president in the graphic novel. Right. I'm uh, interested. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm pretty excited as well. You going to buy the soundtrack? Um, I'll, I use Spotify, so yeah. <laughs> comfortably, probably not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I will listen to it. I've only just gotten onto Spotify. I don't know why. You know, there's these yeah. things that take a while for you to clock oh, yeah. onto, and it was only a few months ago, and then I finally got Change around to signing life, up. Change your life, You know what it is? It's really good. Yeah, it's changed. It, I've been introduced to so much music from Spotify. Right. Changed my life, changed my, my outlook on the whole world. Right. <laughs> a lot of more world music I listen to these days. Yeah. You know, like... I fear the artists aren't getting paid properly, but then again, uh, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons uh, were not getting paid for this. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, what a depressing note to finish on. <laughs> but um, look, I was uh, pretty wrapped with uh, this first episode. Yeah. I was really looking forward to it, and uh, I really look forward to discussing it with you over yeah, the next I'll, few weeks. Hopefully, I'll get to come back every now and then and talk with right. you. These recaps are fun. Right. Uh, and I can't wait to listen as well to the episodes where you're diving through the comic book. Oh, yeah. Chapter by chapter. Yeah. Uh, ever since you told me that you um, you were someone that read it month to month as it came out, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I've not heard this perspective before on this like classic of literature now, modern right. literature. It's a deep dive that I can't wait to keep going through. It was like watching this TV show, mm. except instead of week to week, it yeah. was month to month, and then sometimes they were running behind, yeah. and you had to wait two months for the and next chapter. And you never chapter. knew. It's this time much. you can at least read stuff online, look it up. It was in a world that President Robert Redford would have loved because it was before the internet, so yeah. I never knew when issues were coming. Yeah, and now you can discuss it with your friends as well. It's perfect. All right. Thank you very much, Alexi. My pleasure. A big thank you to Alexi for being a part of the first episode. You can check out more of his work at the Total Reboot podcast that he co-hosts with the very funny Cameron James. If you're keen to check out some of the articles we talked about, please head over to our Facebook page, The Big Squid Podcast with Justin Hamilton. It has the handle of Big Squid Hamo. Sounds like my 90s dancing name. I've posted the articles there for you to have a read. And if you noticed anything that Alexi and I missed, let us know. Like, I'm really curious. I'm, I'm sure there is stuff that flew past us. And if you saw it, share. We're all in this together, people. I'll be back later in the week with guest Siobhan Coombs. She's the host of the podcast Serious Issues. And we're going to break down the first chapter of the graphic novel. So you can cross-reference the comic and the TV series in real time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell any like-minded friends to come and join us, especially those who love a nerdy deep dive. And please rate and review us on any of the platforms that you use as well. Thank you very much for listening. It's great to be back in the podcast world. I'll catch up with you again this Thursday and maybe take an umbrella when you go outside. I hear it might be raining squids. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.